with a city that is architecturally conservative because like no you can't touch that you can't paint that uh, building you don't move that you don't go there so for each generation there's a sort of challenge of where are we going to party hello listeners this is andy steves with the andy steves travel podcast today it's all about paris from its grand beautiful boulevards to its flaky baguettes and from world-class sightseeing to artistic masterpieces paris is at the top of the list for most first-time visitors to europe and all for good reasons we're bringing the city to life today with my great friend and fellow guide kevy donat kevy runs his own alternative tour company called le paris noir or the black paris which focuses on paris is often overlooked black history, musical influences, and culture. He, of course, shares his thoughts on the must-see sites and top neighborhoods, as well as tips on how to avoid the crowds in one of the world's most visited cities. We also dive into a bit of politics and discuss some of the most contentious issues in France and America today. I hope you enjoy. Sharing tips, tricks, and tales from around the globe, this is Travel for the Next Generation. You're listening to the Andy Steves Travel Podcast, Episode 2. All right, this is Andy Steves with the Andy Steves Travel Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Kevy Donat. Really excited to, um, to chat about life in Paris, what's going on with you, and uh, learn a little bit more about your background. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so my name is Kevy. It's like Kevin without the N. Uh, I am from Martinique, so not not so many people know about Martinique. Martinique is a small uh, island in the French Caribbean, so the, the southern West Indies. So I was born there. I grew up there. Uh, cool life. Martinique is awesome. Uh, and then I moved to uh, to France to to study. So I studied in the west part of France. I studied uh, public health management. So I was meant to to work. Uh, in the administration of nursing homes, local hospitals, but I didn't like it. It sucked. <laughs> uh, it, it was really boring. I didn't want to to work uh, in a, in an administration behind a computer, working on Excel and PowerPoint. So I wanted to do something, uh, let's say, more humane, more interactive. And as a sort of amazing coincidence, a friend of mine mm-hmm. uh, told me, well, if you know Paris and you speak English, you could become a tour guide. And this is how it started. You had gone through how many years of schooling to be uh, an administrator for nursing homes? So first I did, um, yeah, five years of political science and then my master's in, uh, like a master's, another master's in, uh, in, um, in public health management. So that's two years. So that's seven years in, in total. And then oh I said, gosh. screw it. <laughs> <laughs> and as I understand it, your father is does the same thing. Yeah, my father is in the business. Yeah, and, and so you know what it is, right? <laughs> yeah. But instead of walking away, I just walk straight straight in line with my. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was difficult because when I get accepted in the school, in the National School of Public Health. It was, uh, you know, it was uh, on the moon, you know, it was like so happy and proud. It's like, oh, you're so young and you're going to have like a 40 uh, year amazing long career. I was like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. And uh, (laughs) every day in that school was was horrible. So uh, I think that after the first year, I was like, no, this is not happening. It can't be. I have to do something different. So I feel like my parents were getting the the vibe it was a i didn't quit i didn't drop out but i went to the end 
because I don't want to break their hearts, but they were slowly under, understanding that it was not going to happen. And uh, actually, when it stopped, when it ended, uh, it was a sort of relief for almost for everybody. So my father was like, okay, so what are you going to do with your life now? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to be a tour guide. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I was not kidding. And it's been five years now. And now my parents are very happy because first, my, my business is, is doing pretty well. And I'm, I'm super excited every day. So That's so cool, man. I find that to be an, an excellent example of you know, you have your career path 40 years straight ahead of you, but you you recognize that it wasn't your passion and you decided, you know what, I want to I want to share with people about my city and culture and history. Um, and can you speak to the kind of the magic of tour guiding? Like what what is it that, you know, gets you excited every day to, to go out and, and tell these stories? Uh, at first, what I really liked was the fact that I became a tour guide in Paris. It was only my second or my third year in Paris, so I didn't know the city so well. And my first year in Paris, I was uh, actually doing the internship uh, in, in a nursing home, and it was not a pleasant experience, and I didn't like Paris so much. And it's when I became a tour guide that I really fell in love in Paris with Paris. I was living, uh, I was already living in this neighborhood. I didn't know anything about the neighborhood. You know, I was going to work and I would go back and I was not paying attention of the beauty uh, around me. And uh, and when I became a tour guide, my, um, let's say my lifestyle became a little bit different. I had more time to walk around and learn about the history of, of the streets around me. And I was like, oh my God, I live in an amazing place. And, um, so that, that was my first motivation to, to, to keep doing that for, for a long time. And now there's always the, um, uh, the idea that as a tour guide, I can improve. And as well, being a tour guide opened different doors for me, like professionally. Uh, so, so yeah, it's always a, a very exciting opportunity because what I do is different every day. So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. And, you know, it's one of those things where oftentimes the minute that you teach a subject, that's when you really understand it. You know, like yes. teachers are learning themselves as they explain it to their students all the time. And I think that's the same thing with, with tour guiding. Absolutely. So you got started doing free walking tours. And yes. from your perspective, you know, everybody going to Europe now will see these free walking tours all over the place. Can you explain how does that system work from a free walking tour guide's perspective? I, I feel like if you're traveling on a budget, uh, it is, a, a, um, let's say, an appealing uh, option. But as well, you, you need to know that nothing is really free. <laughs> that, that nothing is 100% is free. Uh, so, of course, uh, you have to expect that... I mean, the tour guide on his side is expecting, is expecting a, a, a tip. And, uh, and actually, they live on, on tips. And it's something that sometimes it's hard to understand because sometimes people feel like they are... I don't know, they were uh, trapped or something because the tour guide says, you know, uh, this is my work. I, uh, I I don't just walk around with strangers like that uh, as a hobby. I, I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing, um, uh, I'm doing a per not a performance, but, you know, like I'm giving you something. It's no, a it's, type of service. So. It's, a, it's a performance. It's a, it's yeah, absolutely it's, a yeah. service. Yeah. And, and um, I think, yeah, because a lot of people say, see free but yeah. tour, tour guides in this particular business model are actually obligated to pay the company yes. a, a certain amount of euros yeah, per a person. There's a commission. Yeah. So 
I'm not going to to go in full specifics, but for instance, uh, the, the tour guide in most of these companies pays a commission on the number of tourists who are, who are on the tour. At the beginning of the tour, not at the end, right? No matter how well, much they tip. At the middle. At the middle. At the middle. Huh? At the middle. At the middle. <laughs> And um, and it doesn't matter how much the people tip you, you're still obligated to pay yeah, per person. Yeah, you still to, have to, to pay. A, 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 um, um, how do you say that? A flat commission. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A flat rate. So, so you hear so, that, so, listeners? Tip your tour guides. Tip your yeah, tour tip, guides. Tip the tour guides. And so that was your start. Um, and that company, can we give a shout out? Uh, Discover yes. Discover Walks. Discover, Discover are, Walks. Are you still with them? I, I I have like a good relationship with them. I'm still good friends with them. We don't work so much uh, together these days. Sometimes when they, they need a tour guide for um, a walking tour for schools, because they don't only do free walking tours, free walking tours. It is as well, I think, a good way for tourists to realize that a tour guide is always like a bonus. It's something more. So sometimes as well, people... Uh, they start with a, a free walking tour and then they want something uh, more specific, more uh, more designed, and then they, they require a, a private walking tour, which is, of course, uh, something much better for, for, for tour guides, to, to be honest. So, sure. so and, and the other good thing is, if it was not for these type of companies, I would have never thought of being a tour guide. So they... They uh, gave me um, like a shot, you know, and I gave a shot at it and, and I enjoyed it. And then it was a motivation to keep doing yeah, absolutely. this job. It, you know, these yeah. free walking tours, that's interesting. So it kind of lowers the barriers to entry for both, yes. the, both the tour guide and for, for people on a budget, traveling on a budget. And, that's and right. so, so it kind of connects um, uh, tour members and tour guides in a new way. That's fascinating. And then um, simultaneously, I met you in 2011 or so, yeah, like maybe right. five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. We're almost old men now, Kevin. <laughs> uh, and so I met you and we started working uh, WSA Paris tours together. So my company, Weekend Student Adventures, employs Kevy on weekend uh, tours, Friday, Saturday, Sunday experiences through Paris. So I'm curious. I don't want to give you any context. Tell me, you know, what when I say, you know, WSA tours, what comes to mind? I'm just curious. Uh, what comes to mind is usually it's a first introduction to, to, to Paris. And it's, you know, with um, people who have been dreaming about Paris uh, for years. I'm not going to say their entire life, but yeah, for years. And there's always like the bar is pretty high because, you know, you have to, to deal with this uh, excitement and at the same time keep things organized and fun. So it is, uh, for me, it's always very challenging, you know, in the way that, okay, I have to be in very good shape for, for these tours because it's going to be, at the same time, something extremely intense, fun, and uh, and different because there's always so many surprises happening. You know, when especially when the when you're dealing with uh, uh, bigger groups. You know, when the group is about like 15 people, there's always something different that is going to happen. The the personalities all the time are are very different. So <laughs> that's that's putting uh, it very nicely, Kevin. <laughs> Yeah, no, but but it, but it's true because you, you you never know you never know who you are going to to deal with, and it's always a different type of uh, of vibe of mood. Like uh, sometimes you have a group that is going to be uh, more about history, and they are going to ask lots of questions, and 
and um, you you feel like oh my god am I am I a historian right now you know and then the next week it's more like uh, people who party more let's say it like that and some people are going to be quite hungover and uh, and they want different priorities and so so this is this is what i like actually it's uh and it's still related to what i told you before about the fact that i i love being a tour guide it's the the connection with with the people like you have to uh um to make sure that everybody's having a good time and i'm proud to say that i'm i'm confident about my ability to do so so yeah great man yeah that's that you know i i experience it myself it's a crazy um, interesting challenge, I'll put it that way, because you you have the history and culture and information that you need to deliver, but you also yeah. have the on these longer three or four day tours, you have yes. these um, uh, dynamics, these social dynamics that you need to manage as well, and and, and so that that creates an interesting um, uh, challenge for sure. Also, one thing that I always remember fondly is you know when we met back in two thousand eleven, you're. You, you could you could definitely speak English, but you had a, a pretty strong accent, and and you were you were still becoming fluent. And then a couple like maybe a year or two later, after you had been working WSA tours, all of a yeah. sudden you you could kind of identify uh, kind of regional cultures, I guess, from the states. You understood jo- new jokes, yeah. you know, and and yeah. sarcasm and all that stuff. Um, that have you noticed yourself uh, changing? Yeah, I, I, it's first, of course, my, my job as a tour guide, uh, speaking English every day, um, mostly of Americans, not only of Americans, but mostly of Americans. And, and then, uh, so first there was that really helped me with my accent, with my understanding and all. Uh, and then it got me more and more interested as well in American culture, in American society. So I started to watch more American TV, movie, music. So... Yeah, so it got you more I'm, interested rather than repulsed. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's right. I, I was like, I want, I want to understand these people better. Uh, and, um, and and yeah, so now like every day I watch, uh, I don't know, the Daily Show or something like that to, to 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 have fun and to to watch the news and to to understand some stuff. And, oh, um, but then what about, I think about two and a half, three years ago, you mentioned, hey, Andy, I'm thinking about doing this, this tour company. I want to do my own thing. Yeah. And I, and you told me it's going to be about the black history of Paris, Paris Noir. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and for me, I was like, that sounds really interesting, but, but as an entrepreneur and tour company owner myself, it, it's not easy, man. You got to find oh. your market. You got to design your website, your tours, your products, your services, for exactly the right people and then whether or not they find it that either takes a lot of work and or a lot of luck and so um you know it's just been so exciting for me to see you create your own company called Perry Noir would you tell us a little bit about that yes actually I started this project three years three years and a half ago um it's um I offer uh, tours about the black history of Paris. What I mean is uh, Paris is a, is a city with a huge diversity uh, of, of people. And um, and when I started my, my walking tours, a lot of tourists had questions about it. Oh, I didn't know there were so many black people in, in Paris. You know, like everybody was a little bit awkward about it. Tell me, uh, would those be, um, you know, African-American tourists or black Canadian no. tourists or, or no, anybody? European. 
more, more Europeans, like uh, Italians or, or Germans coming on the English tours, they would ask me, what's up with that? And uh, so I had the idea of answering that question, doing a walking tour, you know, like creating, designing a, a new walking tour. And so um, I studied political studies and I always had a, a big interest for political questions, history in general. So I went through some books and uh, I designed two different tours, all related to the history of uh, either the African diaspora or African-American intellectuals, musicians, uh, who lived in, in, in Paris. Uh, Paris has a very uh, big connection with uh, the African-American diaspora and uh, and there are still like, let's say, marks or um, of this legacy. And you said you designed two tours. How, how are those balanced? What are those focused on? Is one more serious history and one's more about music or how's that work? One is more about the colonial and intellectual history of Paris. And the other one is about the tradition of jazz music in uh, Pigalle, uh, where there were the first jazz clubs in Paris. And then we go to the uh, African neighborhood of Paris, Chateau Rouge. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a crazy neighborhood. There are shops everywhere. It's very colorful. It's very, uh, we use the word dépaysant. Uh, in French, that there's not really a, an English word for that, but it's you don't really know where you are. That's that's what it means, and uh, and and it's very cosmopolitan, so it's interesting. And you've been getting all sorts of exposure. You know, you've been I've seen you on media, uh, newspapers. Yeah, I, it it started. Uh, I I didn't think it would interest uh, French media, but actually, issues of diversity are getting bigger and bigger in France. So. When I started that, the media were like, well, yeah, oh, black history, yeah. Because it's in France, it's not really a thing. It's not like in America, it's like, no, we're colorblind. There's no black history and so on. So um, the, the media were interested in that. And I got some articles or some uh, uh, reports on the news. And then it helped me as well to have um, connections with uh, associations. And I, have, I work with American programs as well. Uh, I'm going to to have a group of students from Arizona University for a whole week and they are studying black studies. They're coming to Paris and I'm going to do all sorts of different stuff with them. So hey, that's that's huge, man. That's, that's yeah, so yeah. exciting. Do, do you find that um, obviously when when one opportunity comes through, they kind of it kind of spirals and more come to you. When it comes to the media coverage, did they find you or were you reaching out saying, hey, they found me. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, media tend to not to copy each other, but if there's an article about something, another media is like, huh, let's talk about this. And and yeah. then it snowballs a little bit. So actually, it, it started as a sort of a crazy coincidence, because when I started, I had a friend of a friend working for TF1, which is the biggest media in France. And I wanted to write a sort of, you know, a sort of notice or sort of notification telling so, some media about my business so i was like hey hello excuse me i started tours and i gave it to him i was like yeah whatever and never said anything and then two weeks later he called me and he said okay um we are going to make a report for you for uh the tv news you know the eight o'clock news I was like yeah okay that's perfect and i asked him how it happened and he told me that uh on summertime there is a new editor in the newsroom and so the woman was like i want something new and she told him, Axel, 
do you have any idea for something different? I was like, oh, well, there's this guy doing tours about the Black History Friends. I was like, she's yeah, perfect. Let's do this. And this is how it started. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah, so so you 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 never know. And I was super lucky about it. And then as I was on this media, the media was like, yeah, it's legit. And actually, I just started a couple of weeks or a month ago. Uh, I've done like three or four tours, but I already had that. Coming up. And, and at that moment, the French at some point had to listen to what the rest of the world was, was thinking. So like, well, everybody agrees with us, right? And everybody's like, no, 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 that's, that's messed up. Don't do that. This episode is brought to you by Weekend Student Adventures. Experience Europe like a local. WSA offers three-day and 10-day break trips for students and budget travelers to Europe's most exciting cities. Skip the line at the top sites, get off the beaten path, and connect with locals on WSA's urban adventures. Ready for the city list? Edinburgh, Dublin, London, Amsterdam, Paris, Barcelona, Madrid, Rome, Florence, Venice, Berlin, Budapest, Krakow, and Prague. Just show up at the hostel and we take it from there. You can find all the details online at WSAEurope.com. Happy travels. Let's see, a couple things. We can talk about politics or we can talk about Paris. Where do you want to go? I want to do both, man. That's too difficult. But let's talk about politics. Cool. A year ago, I think a year ago yesterday or two days ago, it was the, the attacks at Bataclan and the yeah. others. Yeah. You were on tour with a Weekend Student Adventures tour. That's right. And uh, I first started getting calls and I was like, okay, it's just, you know, it's not, it doesn't, you know, when you have little pieces of information, you can't really tell how, how big a deal that was. But then it actually, you know, the true scale of what was happening really yeah. became clear. How have you seen society change in Paris and in France over the last year? Yeah, um, it, it, to, to, to be honest, um, it, it's been a little bit difficult because, uh, of course, when there is uh, political terror, terrorism, um, society tends to get uh, more tense. So you can tell that the political debate right now, it's only about security, terrorism, immigration, and Islam. That's the only problems we have on the planet, the environment, the economy, the education, everything else is fine, but the only issues we, we seem to have is about uh, security. So there are, there are more and more ignorant comments uh, on the news, and it's not only like the news who are to blame, but politicians as well. Sometimes they, they cross the line because they know that a bigger part of the, the people wants to hear stuff like that because it makes every, um, not everybody, but most people feel the majority feels good when, when, um, when not the majority, but a lot of people feel good about uh, these type of comments. So, so when I've watched the Trump election, when I was, um, uh, observing the, the American results, uh, the, the first thing I, I thought about was we have elections in five months and, I'm afraid we are going to have something similar. Not exactly the same thing, but the political debate is really, really, really on the right. I mean, yeah. It's, which, uh, which plays right into Marie Le Pen's platform. Yes, yes. Actually, actually she tweeted and, and congratulated Trump and the, Ameri the American free people. 
So um, Marie Le Pen is the spokesperson for uh, Front National, is that what it is? Yeah, the National Front, Front National, yeah. She's the leader. Yeah. And that's a right-wing nationalist movement that, you know, was on the fringes a couple of years ago, right? Like, yeah. it, it would never be a big deal, or you'd never really think about her as a political power. But as I understand it, it seems like she's becoming more and more mainstream because yes. the conversation is shifting into security, immigration issues, things like that. Her, her father was pretty big already, but he was too hardcore to win. You know, he could do pretty well for a marginal movement, uh, but it, you knew he could not conquer the power because, well, uh, but her, she's more, she seems more uh, focused and she she's younger and she tries to sound a little bit more politically correct. And she knows as well how to, in a way, to flatter French patriotism using the right words. She's not going to say, uh, I'm a racist. She's just going to say, I respect the Republican values of France. <laughs> and, and then like everybody is like, oh, yeah, I agree with you. You're right. Yeah, You're we're totally Republican. Right. <laughs> yeah. Egalité, fraternité. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And especially laicité, you know, this very strict French uh, secularity we have here. Like 20 years ago, they were against that because a lot of their voters were crazy Catholics and didn't want to hear about religious neutrality. But now that this religious neutrality is used against Muslims, everybody's for it. Huh. Like you could Interesting. see like, uh, hardcore uh, Catholics who were against uh, religious neutrality now say, oh yeah, that's the most important value in the country. That's so interesting. I got uh, immigration issues, security issues. Calais was just closed down, I understand. Calais is the last town that kind of sits on the channel entry or the, the, the channel kind of hole that, that's the tunnel that leads to England. So many people coming up from Africa, from the Middle East, are trying to get to England and they can get into Europe via Spain, Italy, Greece. Um, but then Calais is kind of the holding point, the catch point before uh, people either like throw themselves onto semi trucks or trains to try to get through on this tunnel to get into England. Um, immensely dangerous. If you've seen those videos, it's insane. Like yeah. the, the, the people there are obviously desperate for an opportunity in life and, and probably just want a job and security to raise a family. Um, but because of police presence, they're prevented from going. And, and so, you know, there's situations where people are just hanging on the bottom of a semi truck. What's happening now that they've closed the, the, the camps, the villages that have grown up, um, with thousands of people trying to get to the other side. So, so now the, the most controversial thing about that now, a lot of people, a lot of conservatives, to be fair, would tell you, oh, so now the government is going to have to deal with these people. They are going to give them housing where there are French people uh, who are suffering here. Why our government should take care of the refugees uh, when, he, when the government is not able of taking care of, of, of our own? And of course, that's a very you you say populist uh, rhetoric because it's not because that it's not because you cannot save all of your people that you should uh, not watch at a terrible global humanitarian disaster. So so yeah, pe people are very sometimes very eager to find I would say very simplest explanations or yeah it's it's very pitiful uh, it's, it's not a it's not an easy issue to resolve that's for sure no it's not an easy, easy re issue but sometimes people are not 
giving all the details um, like refugee disasters with refugees in Europe. We had that. Uh, for instance, in France, uh, just before the Second World War, the French government had to, um, I don't know, um, host like something like two or three hundred thousand uh, people from Spain who left because of the civil war. And now when you have like three, five, ten thousand people like, oh, no, sorry, we, we, we really can't. So th there, there is something else. There is like we're scared of you. We don't want you right now. But, you know, it's not that the country is so full that if. Like a couple of thousand refugees come, it's going to crumble. So. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one, one last thing I'll say about that is, uh, you know, Trump got elected by getting people excited about building a wall as if that's going <laughs> to solve the problem. But at the end of the day, the simplistic arguments are easier to get on to the news. They sound better. Let's just do this and do that. I just I'm hoping and praying for coherent and uh, yes. overall discussion. But, you know, the, the, it's an interesting time we're in. Um, yeah. What happened to the burkini? Ah, <laughs> uh, what happened? Well, it's wintertime already. So more issues about, about the swimsuits. That'll but, have yeah, to wait till June. <laughs> burkini was a, a crazy story. And for instance, a I was telling you about the, the religious neutrality thing, and, and this is a perfect example. There were women uh, who didn't want to show their bodies on, on the beach in the southeast of France, and uh, they decided to full, to wear some sort of full swimsuit named Burkini, and, and some mayors of these little towns de decided to, to ban that. So you have a couple of disturbing pictures of... Uh, women who have to undress themselves because police officers are like, I'm sorry, but these are the orders. And first, you have to understand that these events happened a couple of weeks after the, the terrorist attacks in Nice, and it happened in the region around Nice, so so nothing is for free. You know, it's a, okay, it's a, it's a sort of really confused payback, I think. And, and at that moment, the... The French, at some point, had to uh, listen to what the rest of the world was, was thinking because uh, with this sort of re religious uh, neutrality, we are a little bit alone. It's really, really, really sometimes a little bit too radical in France. And we feel like every other Western country is doing the same. So we're like, well, everybody agrees with us, right? And everybody's like, no, 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 that's, that's messed up. Don't do that. So the... French Court Supreme said that it was not constitutional to to ban the, the Burkini, so that's it. Let's shift gears to to Paris. Yes, it's been a year, maybe a year and a half since I've been through Paris. I think I hate to admit it, but you know, when I come back, tell me about what's what's going on in Paris today. What do you think would be some of the first things I would notice? Um, so I think last time you came, Canal Saint Martin, that Martin Canal was. Um, getting more and more popular, it's still the case. And it is very interesting because it's the neighborhood where young Parisians, young locals love to, to hang out. And it's as well the neighborhood, by the way, where a hostel at WSA is. So I, I always invite people to, to go out there because this is where uh, the Parisian youth uh, is hanging out. And at the same time, I feel like things are getting a little bit more at the north of Paris, so at the edge of, of, of the city, uh, where you have like new clubs and new new restaurants uh, happening. So 
uh, I would say that Canal Saint Martin is still big, big, uh, big uh, on on the map. So for so, for English speakers, uh, you could yeah. think of that as Saint Martin Canal or Saint Martin's Canal. Saint, yeah, Saint Martin. Yeah, Saint Martin Canal is uh, is is a place where you will find a lot of alternative bars. There's a lot of street art. I think you told me about the um, the Comptoir General. Yeah, exactly. T yeah. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that. Comptoir General used to be a long, long time ago. Um, how do you call that? A place where you um, you put horses in. Uh, stables? Yeah, it used to be stables. Uh, and about 10 years ago, a couple of young entrepreneurs uh, bought it and designed it as one of the coolest bars in Paris. The whole interior is very ethnic. So it's all about African arts, Negro arts. They have a lot of amazing events there. Uh, the best DJs go there. And they just uh, opened uh, a new store, like a sort of vintage store um, that is uh, using the same theme, the same yeah world as they they have, and it, and it's really really cool. Um, so yeah, that's one of the places where I uh, I go and and I love to come and, and everybody's having a good time there. <laughs> I, I was speaking I was, with yeah. uh, Aloise, and she's like, yeah, I see Kevy there all the time. Oh yeah, yeah I'm always. Uh, <laughs> there and and then you said like it's shifting to the north side of town yes does that mean again just for reference like beyond sacre coeur yeah right after sacre coeur for okay. instance a little bit higher than sacre coeur uh there are some uh places there's a place i really like named la recyclerie which is um they built it they built the the the, the cafe slash bar in a abandoned uh, train station so that you have a, like a unique vibe there and there are as well lots of events happening in there. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. You know, that's fascinating because Paris, you know, when I think about Paris, I, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, with the Eiffel Tower and the Louvre is, and Mona Lisa is just these grand boulevards with beautiful buildings. It's pristine. It looks, and it is regulated. Like you, it has to look a certain way in, in downtown yes. Paris, right? You have very little flexibility. In other words, it's a very rigid society that's that exists in a framework of what you can and can't do architecturally, and I yes. think cultural. You all interact within a framework, kind of guidelines of what you're supposed to do, and and so it's interesting to hear about Comptoir General and this place in the train station and these new places feels a little bit alternative, a little bit. Yes, um, uh, this different. is a real struggle, actually, if you want to talk about. Uh, something alternative with a city that is almost um, architecturally conservative because like, no, you can't touch that. You can't paint that uh, building. You don't move that. You don't go there. So, but at the same time, you are very free and open-minded. Uh, so for uh, each generation, there's a sort of challenge of where are we going to party uh, without, you know, disturbing old people. So, so it's a little bit, uh, what is happening right now in the northeast of Paris, which is uh, the place where, where people want to hang out. Of course, uh, Parisians still love to enjoy um, beautiful places like the Luxembourg Garden, for instance. Uh, it's, it's still uh, it's a, a, a garden that is from the 1600s, and, and it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's, uh, it looks uh, like a small Versailles, it's fantastic. But sometimes people need as well to go a little bit crazy and to do different stuff. And for instance, in the Luxembourg Garden, you cannot even walk on the grass, you know, so because it's a beautiful French garden and you have to respect it. So people need to go a little bit further to do their stuff. Oh, man, that's that's fascinating. Uh, the, the classic sites, you know, the cliche sites are still the same. Eiffel Tower, Musée du Louvre, uh, Musée d'Orsay, L'Orangerie. Yeah, 
more and more about uh, Musée d'Orsay. People are more and more interested in going to, to Musée d'Orsay. So, so you find that students come to you knowing about it and wanting to see it? Yeah, yeah, because more and more people want to see Impressionists. And in Le Louvre, everything is before 1848. So they're, they're like, yeah, Le Louvre is, is awesome, but uh, we wish we could have seen some Monet, some Renoir, some Van Gogh, some stuff like that. I'm like, It's always wow. this balance of... Okay, you know, Paris, you can't you can't see it the whole thing in three days. You're barely oh. gonna scratch the surface. And so the decisions you make about how you spend your time, and obviously there are lines at all these different museums. What would you recommend for tourists to come in and not deal with all the standing in line at the Eiffel Tower or uh, Musée de Louvre? The, el- the earlier, the the better. Um, and weekdays, weekdays are. Um, if you think about that, well, that, that's one of the of the I would say that the good points about uh, this difficult uh, month that we have to face with tourism is that uh, in low season, especially in November, if you want to go to Orsay Museum, for instance, the waiting line is not going to big if you go there on a on a Wednesday. So so Paris gets to to get a little bit easier. To when you want to go to these really popular sites and in the in the low season, huh? In the low season, right now. And then, yeah. is there is there a day where all everything's closed? Like it depends. So uh, Le Louvre is closed on Monday, I would say, and Orsay on Tuesday. Okay, so that's important. You know, like for yeah. for, for students coming through Paris, you don't want to plan. You know, yeah, uh, the, the wrong days. Wrong and everything. <laughs> okay, good stuff. Um, and then when it comes to French cuisine. You know, if you have if you have a few days in Paris, like what are just walk me through some of the stuff that you got to try. Uh, macaroon is big. Macaroon, uh, the the movie Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola really made it very very hot. So macaroon is is definitely uh, uh, a big thing, but it's more like female, feminine, if I if I can tell. Um, but as well, um, there's some good street food street food or uh, Asian food in, in Paris. There's a, a restaurant I really like named Le Petit Cambodge, the little Cambodia. And for like 10, 12 euros, you can have like really, really, really good food. Uh, a dish that French people really enjoy, one of the most popular dishes in France is, in, is couscous. So, so that's something as well that in Paris, you will find some of the best couscous uh, in Europe probably. Uh, so there is that. Uh, and as well for French cuisine, we, we go to, uh, with the group, we go to a, a cool place, a new place named Cantine de Belleville. Uh, and it's uh, French food, but it's not too stereotypical. Not everything with butter and cream. You, you, you know, you have like even vegetarian options and no stuff way. like that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so no, no, no. Like uh, fr- French cuisine is, is changing too. It's, uh, it, it opens up a little bit. And What would be the best um, like budget option for lunch and or dinner? Like for me, it's like a tuna sandwich to go. Yeah. Um, like a baguette with, stuffed with tuna and salad. Um, uh, kebabs you know do, do you have what what's your favorite kind of cheap and quick bite um right now i really love uh i really love banh mi banh mi is uh it's it, it it's from california first i mean it's uh, vietnamese californian i think it's a uh, uh, a sort of baguette sandwich with uh, vietnamese uh, food in it so it's like a chicken with uh, carrots and, and and salad lettuce uh, tomato it's delicious and and it's super cheap I love banh yeah. you know that actually came from 
Vietnam was a French colony, I believe, yes. at, at one point, yes. right? And so they had baguettes. They had bread and baguettes all of a sudden in Vietnam when they never had them before. And they just started stuffing some, you know, what they would normally eat in a soup or just plain. This just started putting it into a, into a baguette sandwich. And that's where banh mi comes from. Yeah, but it arrived in France because I've read that hipsters in Paris read that in California everybody was having uh, yeah. banh mi, so they decided to to have it too. And like in like in some sort of, if you go to Belleville, the Vietnamese area, there are like some sort of tiny little shops, and you have like big guys uh, going there, like like hipsters going there to buy their their banh mi and, uh, because it's cool. And so so yeah, it's it's really interesting the way things are moving on on the world. <laughs> Good stuff, Kevy. Well, um, hey, it's I've taken up enough of your time, I think. Thanks for tuning in, Kevy. You are welcome back anytime. I hope uh, it won't be too long again before we uh, chat, okay? I hope so. All right. A bientôt. Merci beaucoup. You take care. Thanks again for listening. Find all show details, links, and tips at andysteves.com. You can connect with WSA Europe, Andy's tour company, at WSA Europe on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next time. Happy travels.